take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. And we're going to start studying Daniel chapter 9. And I'm always amazed with God's word. And here in this chapter, we're going to see Daniel's broken-hearted confession. Because the nation itself was broken. And we're going to see where God amazingly hears Daniel's prayer. Daniel, in this prayer, enters into the very heart of God with a broken heart. Daniel enters into the passion of God, which is a passion for his city and for his temple, which had been destroyed. And Daniel is praying for God to open up the door so that Israel could go back into the land and see the temple rebuilt. That will be his ultimate prayer. But before he gets there, he makes a broken-hearted confession of sin. And we're just going to introduce this prayer tonight, this morning, in verses 1 through 4. But let's read as we begin in verse 4, and then we'll pray. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4. And you can read it out loud with me if you're there. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Speak to us, God. Teach us from Daniel how to better live, how to better pray. God, help us like Daniel to enter into your heart, to find out how to get into the heart of who you are, and then to pray while we're there, Lord, and that you'll hear and answer our prayers as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes in the middle of our services, the fire alarm, they're doing a test, and so you might hear a fire alarm test even as I'm doing this message today. And it's quite disturbing, you know, when the fire alarm goes off. But it's meant to be disturbing because if there was a real fire here, we should be disturbed and we should be moved. Well, in chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel, it was as if fire alarms were going off in the world and in his own spirit. Because in chapter 7 and 8, Daniel had these visions of what was going to happen. And now as we go into chapter 9, it's starting to unfold. So the fire alarms, in a sense, are going off for Daniel. Now, what I mean by that, too, and just so we can kind of get an, an interesting flow of these chapters, in chapter 7 and 8 is really a change from the narratives, from the miracles of Daniel, right into the visions of Daniel, chapter 7. And chapter 7 and 8 is a unit. And I say it's a unit by, look, look at verse 1 of Daniel 7. Go back to Daniel 7, verse 1. And what year was that vision given? It says what in Daniel chapter 7? I'm going to ask you questions, so that means you have to turn in your Bible to the verses and help me, please. Okay, when was that vision given in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1? It was? 
in the first year of Belshazzar. Now, who was Belshazzar in the narratives? He was the guy who had the drunken feast, and God ended his kingdom by putting what on the wall? The hand, the handwriting. That was Belshazzar. He was the last king of the kingdom of Babylon, which led to the new empire of Medo-Persia. But this was the first year of Belshazzar during the reign of Babylon. Now look at chapter, and now look at the end of chapter 7. So when Daniel had that vision of the four beasts and then the kingdom of God coming, but what was his response to all that at the end of chapter 7? It was what? What was his response? It says, here's a great King James word. You're not going to find this word anywhere, hardly. My cogitations. <laughs> My cogit That means your th his thoughts. His thoughts were what? Troubled. So there were like alarm bells going off in his mind. His thoughts were troubled. So at the end of chapter 7, the alarm was going on in his mind. Now look at chapter 8. What year is this vision given to Daniel? In the third year of the same kingdom of Belshazzar. So it's the first year and the third year of Belshazzar. And the response of that vision at the end of chapter 8 is what? What was, what was his response in chapter 8 verse 27? He, he fainted and he was literally like nauseous. He was like sick. So his whole body was sick. It made his body sick. So it sent off alarm bells in his body. And now we go into chapter 9, and we're, we're moving ahead 12 years or so, but what's going on in Daniel, I think all that is still very fresh with him. And now he's led to prayer, because in chapter 9, when is this vision given? The first, you know who Darius was? He was the king who would throw Daniel into the lion's den. So this is probably, no, we really don't know when it was, either right before or right after, but it is either right before or right after that, because he was thrown into the lion's den in early in that administration. But nevertheless, this is the first year of Darius, now, but it's a new, new kingdom. It's a new administration. <laughs> We're in a new administration. And, and Daniel was still troubled because, in a way now, he's seeing the fulfillment of the word of God. Because he's prophesied that there would be a kingdom of Babylon, and after Babylon would be the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And guess who Darius is a king of? He's a kingdom of, he, he's part of the kingdom of the Medo-Persian empire. So, Daniel is seeing the fulfillment of God's word. Now, just to say this again, Daniel 7 and 8 is a unit. First and third year of? Belshazzar. Daniel 9 and 10 is a unit because it really focuses on prayer, Daniel's prayers. This is the first year of Darius. And what does it say in chapter 10, verse 1? Just to kind of tie the loop together. It's the third year of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus was the king over the whole Medo-Persian empire. Darius was a king of the, what section of that Medo-Persian Empire? It says actually in chapter 9, verse 1, it says he was made king, so he was appointed by Cyrus to rule over what section of the Medo-Persian Empire? The, the Chaldean or the Babylonian part of that empire. But the point is, do you see that? I, I don't think you ever saw it before, that chapter 7 and 8 is the first and third year 
during the Babylonian. Chapter 9 and 10 is the first and third year of the Medo-Persian. So these are units. But the point is, is that Daniel is led to pray and to confess his sin and the sin of his nation. And God is going to incredibly respond and answer his prayer in a miraculous way. So when there's a new administration, we need to pray. <laughs> the world is changing. The wheels are turning. And we ourselves have gone through so much over the past year. If we don't pray now, if we don't say now is the time to pray, when do you think we're going to finally wake up? What, will we wake up, right? I mean, after everything we've been through in the world with this pandemic and with all the things that have then flooded in uh, as consequences of that, we need to be in prayer. Because alarms, in a sense, are blaring all around us in our own nation, in our own world. And we haven't yet tasted some of the consequences of the pandemic economically. They're saying literally that there has been a $34 billion loss of income in our city. More than a half a million New Yorkers have lost their job. People are fleeing the city. Now, some are moving here, but we also have heard this, right, that a lot of people are fleeing pedestrian traffic and tourism, for example, is down 70%. Shootings have increased to 97% over the past year. Murders are up over 45%. So be careful, you know, but, but alarms are going off in our world, in our, in our nation. And Jesus Christ is coming soon. <laughs> so Daniel was looking forward for God to work because he was seeing prophecy being fulfilled. And as he studied the Bible, we're going to see, he's like, this makes sense. <laughs> and it said, I'm praying. So I'm saying, as Christians, we need to see God is working and it needs to set us praying. <laughs> praying. Okay. Now, let me, again, uh, this morning we're just looking at the first four verses, so I'm saying things generally as well, just uh, overview and context of this passage. But now look just generally about this passage, because, and next week we're going to get into Daniel's specific confessions that he makes. And this is very important for us, because what does it say in 1 John 1, nine? You know 1 John 1, nine. It says, if we... Confess, that's a verse like almost every Christian I know knows. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. So we should confess our sins. Daniel, step by step, really exposits that for us, for us to know how to do that. So we'll look more in those verses next week. But generally speaking, what's really incredible about this passage, in the first four verses, we see Daniel uses six Personal pronouns, that is, he refers to himself, I or my. For example, it begins in chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, I, Daniel. And verse 3, he says, I set my face. And the verse 4, and here's really our main text, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. You see all those personal pronouns. But then it completely shifts in verses 5 down through verse 
number 19, and he uses 42 plural pronouns. He doesn't use one plural pronoun in the first four verses, and he completely shifts. And then he says, we, our, and Daniel is embracing the sins, not just of himself, but of the nation. For example, in chapter 9, when he says, we have sinned. And verse 8, he says, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, and to our kings and our prince. You see all the plurals of the pronouns. He's not talking about himself. It's not me and I. It's us and ours. And verse 13, look what he says. He says, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God. So why is he saying that? And when we had our Iron Sharpens Iron Bible study, we talked somewhat about this, and the question was brought up, why does Daniel embrace so powerfully the sins of the nation? Like, why does he identify with the sins of the nation when he did not participate in all of the the grossest sins, but he is still confessing them as if they were part of him, where he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity in verse 5. So I thought about that regarding this chapter, how Daniel is confessing his sins, what the sins of the nation, in a powerful and personal way. And he identifies with the sins of the nation. And I believe we should have the heart of Daniel like this as well. Why? Number one, and there's three reasons, and I have this in your notes. If you Did you guys get the outline today? Did you want the outline? It's there in your notes. The first reason is because Daniel himself was a what? Daniel himself was a sinner. And he says that in verse 4. He says, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made what? My confession. And even when he says we have sinned, who's a part of we? Daniel is a part of... So Daniel sees himself as a sinner. And look at verse 20, very powerful verse in Daniel 9 and verse 20. He said, while I was speaking and praying and confessing what? My sin. So Daniel sees himself as a sinner. But you know what's amazing? The Bible doesn't tell us of one sin that Daniel committed. Now the Bible's very honest in revealing the sins often of great men whether Abraham or Moses, and of course King David, and Solomon and others. But So Daniel, we, we hold in him in very high regard, but yet he was a what? <laughs> he was a sinner. He saw himself as an image bearer of God who had fallen short of the glory of God. And the greatest of prophets, when they get in the presence of God, and that's really where Daniel is, he is in the very heart of God bearing the passion of God here. And while he's there, he sees he's a sinner like Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah didn't say, wow, I sure am a great guy. What did Isaiah say when he was in the presence of God? He says, I am undone. I am am unclean. So Daniel was very sensitive to sin because he saw the glory and the holiness of God. He knew himself a sinner. Secondly, while Daniel powerfully identifies with sin, and we should, we must confess our sins, and yea, the sins of our nation, is because Daniel was experiencing the curse 
of the sins of the nation. In other words, he was personally experienced the captivity, which was part of the curse. Now, we don't have the all. You want to read a very long chapter in the Bible, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this chapter tells of the blessings of God if they obey his word and covenant. And then it tells the curses if they don't. And the curses were being tasted by Israel through this captivity. So Daniel was literally tasting the curse of the disobedience to the covenant. And so that's why he says we have sinned. He was experiencing himself the shameful curse. And it's even referenced in verse 7. If you look there in Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, he says, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of face. That means shame. I'm ashamed. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel that are near, that are far, far off, through all the countries where you have driven them because of their trespasses, that they have trespassed against thee. So Daniel has been driven from his country. So he says, we have sinned. The third reason, and this is very powerful in my heart, is that Daniel confessed and identified over the sins of the nation because the nation was not. Daniel was confessing the sins of the nation because the nation had become stubborn. And even though they had been driven into captivity, they remained proud. Even though they had been driven into captivity, nationally, they had not repented and they were not turning back to God. That's what verse 13 says. If you look at verse 13, he says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Now, what should that have made the people do? All this evil has come upon us. Remember, if my people, which are called by my name, shall what? That verse is there for such a time as this. The evils come upon us. We should turn to God. We should humble ourselves and repent and turn from our wicked ways. That's not what happened. He says, all this evil has come upon us. Yet, what was the response of the people through that captivity? Made we not our prayer before the Lord our God. Daniel's wondering, why aren't the people repenting? But here's the lesson for us. Don't worry in a way. Don't let other people affect what you do. You turn to God. You confess your sins. Whether no one else does, you get on your face. And say, God, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and have mercy. And forgive the sins of our nation. We have sinned against you. Because the world isn't going to do it. we got to do it. So Daniel's doing the heavy lifting here. For the nation. Confessing their sins. Confessing his own. It's a very powerful chapter. Very needed in our day. So let's look at this passage. We're only doing the first few verses because that was just the introduction. So, and I have two points of Daniel's brokenhearted confession. The first point is he prayed with a listening heart. He was listening to God. And that, you know, people say, well, I don't know how to pray. You know how to pray? Open up your Bible. Let God speak to you and you respond. That's the best prayer. That's what Daniel's doing. He's got his Bible open, he's listening to God, and he's responding to what God is saying. The second thing is we're going to see he had a worshiping heart. 
So let's look at these two things this morning. He had a listening heart, number one. Now, what was he listening to or what was he reading? He was fully engaged, giving full attention to what? What does it say in verse 2? What was he reading in verse 2? Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. You can answer. And generally, before that, it says what? The, even generally, before what specific book, it says... Even before that, it says he understood something. He said, it says something else there that he was reading. He was reading what? You can only read one thing. That would be books. <laughs> you see the word books there? It doesn't say it there. Now, we don't know what books that was, but I have an idea, at least one other book. But he was reading the books, and he was reading what? What specific book does it then say? He was reading of the prophet Jeremiah. And it, and it says the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah, and that God was going to accomplish 70 years in the desolations, in this captivity time, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah had said they would be there for 70 years and then come out. And so Jeremiah, uh, Daniel, if, let me put it this way. You know what he's doing? He's studying prophecy. And as he's studying prophecy, his heart is stirred as he sees prophecy in process of being fulfilled. Now, some people really love prophecy, and some people come to me literally say, I don't really, I don't really care too much about prophecy. Well, it, you should care something about prophecy. It's in the Bible. And I would just say this, and, and I don't think we should get like crazy on anything. I believe we should keep a balance, but, but prophecy is exciting that God actually tells us what's coming next. And Daniel is studying prophecy and it stirs his soul to pray and to repent of his sin and the nation's sin. So that's the, that's the blessing of prophecy. Let it stir your heart to seek God because he sees things are happening. Now, how does he see things are happening? God had said that Israel was going to go into captivity for how many years? 70 years. And it tells us, we might say, why are these dates here? Why does it say in the first year of Darius? Well, the first year of Darius, I have to stay here. Now, here's our chart. It's a, it's a little small, but you can read this. So the captivity began, and I can approve this to you, in 605, the first, the, the first deportation of Jewish people, of which Daniel was in that group in 605. And the 70 years goes through the fall of Babylon to Medo-Persia in 539, which is not quite 70 years. That's like 69 to, uh, I'm sorry, that's like 66, 67 years. And now Daniel is going to have this vision in 538, or he receives this prayer in, in 538. So that, we're, we're to about 67 years when he, when we come into Dan chapter 9. So what's going to happen soon? The 70 years is going to be up. Then what's going to happen? God's going to send the people, bring the people back into the land. But let me ask you this question. Human standpoint, from what I've even just read, is Israel ready to move back into the land? 
Have they repented to say, we need to go back into the land? Is that the attitude of the people? No, it's not. And so that, this is one reason why Daniel is praying, I believe, as he's seeing the times change and he's seeing the, the 70 years about to be fulfilled. And he's, in a sense, wondering from a human standpoint, God, you promised 70 years, but humanly, how is that going to happen? Because the people have not turned back to you. Nobody's praying about this. So Daniel's praying about it. So this was the first year of Darius, which was also the first year of Cyrus. And if you go to Ezra, go to Ezra, please, chapter 1. The first year of Darius is the first year of Cyrus. So Cyrus, like I said, was the main king of the whole Persian Empire. But Darius was, in a sense, a sub-king over the Babylonian section. And if you look at the Ezra chapter 1, here's the answer to Daniel's prayer. I believe that God stirred Ezra, I'm sorry, Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a decree to let Israel go back to the land in response to Daniel being stirred up to pray. Where it says in Ezra chapter 1, look at verse 1. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So again, this is the first year. The first year of Cyrus is the first year of Darius. The first year of the, of the Medo-Persian Empire, right? Are you with me? And he says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdom of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. So Cyrus is saying, the Lord has stirred me up. Now, I'm reading into this, I confess, but I believe it was Daniel's prayer that God is answering here. Because there's no other human explanation for it, except that Isaiah also prophesied it, and we'll see it in a moment. So this is an amazing thing, what's going on. So Daniel's reading Jeremiah. His spirit is powerfully moved to seek God. He knew that the number of years of captivity was 70. Now go to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 29. There are so many scriptures. I'm trying to be very judicious. Believe it. And turning to only specific. I could be turning like to a thousand more, but I'm trying to control myself. (laughs) But go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Look at verse 10. This is what, now, and here's, if if we can't get, we we are excited, man. I I thank God for you guys because you love the Bible. That's why you're here. You don't come for my stories. I know that because I don't tell many. I tell some, but we're here for the word of God. Amen. We're able to read the very thing that Daniel was studying around five, you know, something B.C., like 2,500 years ago. Isn't that cool? So this is what Daniel was reading. Look at right here. It's Daniel 29.10. 
For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place. He had told them what was going to happen. They, the whole nation should have been stirred up. But Daniel even says, they didn't, we're not praying about this. But Daniel is. That's what I love. He wasn't letting himself be influenced by the coldness of people around him. You know, if we're going to live for Jesus in these days, we're going to have to go to God's word and get the fire from God. Or, or else we're going we're gonna to let the world just douse us with all their cold water <laughs> and sin. So he says, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then he says, and this is what I believe Daniel read and stirred him to pray. Verse 12, then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me. And find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. Isn't that awesome? And I will gather you from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place which I have caused you to be carried away. So I believe that Daniel sees that and he is moved to pray. And, and here, here's a point as well. Daniel had this prophecy of 70 years, right? He said, well, God said 70 years, so he's going to do it. I don't have to even pray about it. God said he was going to do it. God is sovereign, right? He has a plan. But that's not, okay, God is sovereign, and he has a plan. But what does he also always use? Human people who are submissive and surrendered and devoted to him. So Daniel sees God has a sovereign will. And so Daniel, the mighty prophet of God, enters into that will, gets into God's heart and prays in line with it. And, and even though humanly, again, it didn't seem like Israel was, was seeking God in order to see the 70 years actually happen, that they could go back. Daniel says, God, you said it, and I'm going to take you at your word. So... And another thing that's amazing is that here's Daniel, this mighty prophet of God. And God speaks to him directly, right? But yet, what does he have open? The Bible. Isn't that beautiful? That's a challenge to us. We're not prophets. God isn't speaking directly to us. If God's going to speak to us... It, it, he, he's going to speak to us through his, through his word. So even more incumbent upon us to get into his word. But God will speak to us through the word. God will challenge us. He will stir us. He will put a fire in us through the word. As Daniel had a fire. So this is it. Look what it says. This whole land, this is also Jeremiah. He was reading these words. This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How many years? Seventy years. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolation. So that's why I'm going to say as well now, i got to stay here, that the seventy-year captivity began in 605 because that word... In Jeremiah prophesied there was a double fulfillment to the end of 70 years. What was the double fulfillment? One, he was going to return Israel to the land. But two, he was going to judge 
Babylon. So that would put the end of the 70 years, generally, at this period of time, when Babylon was then defeated by Medo-Persia. So, so the 70 years is coming to a conclusion. So Daniel is reading that in Jeremiah. That's what he was reading. Now, I also believe, I'm, re- I'm looking into it a little bit now, because it says he was reading the books. And there's another amazing prophecy in Isaiah. Daniel predicted how many years they were being captivity, but Isaiah predicted who would be the king of the empire when they came out of the captivity, and the king was who, according to Isaiah 44? It was Cyrus. And Daniel, or Isaiah, wrote this, Isaiah 44, 28, Thus saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to thy temple thy foundation shall be laid. Isaiah wrote that 150 years before Cyrus was alive. (laughs) So Isaiah gave the name of the king. Jeremiah gave the number of years. And I believe Daniel is reading about it. And what does it lead him to do? Confess his sins. Surrender himself. And say, God, do it. Fulfill your word. Even though it didn't look humanly possible. But did God do it? Yes. God answered Daniel's prayers. Okay, so let's just try to move on a little more quickly here. Praying with a listening heart. Where is Daniel looking? What does it say? Where is he looking in Daniel chapter 9? He set his face to the Lord. He was, his face was directly set to God. This was the verse we just read in Jeremiah. Daniel chapter 9, I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication. This is exactly what we just read in Jeremiah chapter 29. Daniel was holding on to that and then doing it. And that's how we respond to God in prayer. By listening to him, see what he says, follow through on it. And then what is he forsaking? What does it say he's forsaking? He's forsaking his basic necessities for a period of time by fasting and by putting on, he took off his Abercrombie and Fitch, designer clothes. What's the what's the most expensive designer clothes? I'm not a designer. What Gucci? Okay, Coach. You know, no. Yeah, they made bag. They don't. They made bags. He didn't wear. A, he didn't carry a bag. You know. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Okay. So, but he put on sackcloth and he fasted. Now, I know if you have a family and ch- small children. It's nigh impossible to fast because you have to feed your kids. You can't tell your kids, we're fasting kids. They're like, I don't want to. You can't tell your four-year-old we're fasting. You know, they're they're not going to quite understand that one. But the, the idea of fasting is to put aside your basic necessities for a period of time, which can be all consuming to some extent because, you know, to buy the food, to prepare the food, to clean the food. And as well, your clothes, to buy your clothes and iron your clothes and take care of your clothes and, and all the things that, you know, th- those things take a lot of time in our life and a lot of thought. So, so sometimes it's good just to put all those things to the side for a period and just seek God and go into his presence and get his mind and get his heart. <clears throat> 
And the last thing I want to say before I move to this last point, and I won't be long on the second point, is how many years again were they going to be in captivity? It was how many years? 70. So Daniel was at around 67 years, right? So Daniel's thinking, okay, soon we're going back. Now, so how, here's the question, how was Daniel interpreting the prophet Jeremiah? In other words, what, was it, what did the 70 years mean? The 70 years could have meant 70, add two zeros, 7,000, you know. No, the 70 years meant what? 70 years. So he's interpreting the prophet, you could say, literally, right? Yes, literally. That 70 years meant literal 70 years. So what is, the Bible has rooted in the Bible itself, the rules by which we interpret the Bible. One of the first and most basic laws of interpreting the Bible, that's called hermeneutics, the laws of Bible interpretation, hermeneutics. The laws of hermeneutics are rooted in the Bible itself. One of those most basic laws is when the Bible makes clear sense, seek no other sense. Interpret the Bible how? Literally. Now, I might tell somebody that and they'll say, oh, that's just your Opinion. I say, it's not my opinion. How can I say that? It's not my opinion because Daniel interpreted the Bible literally. And I could give many other examples of Paul quoting from Old Testament scriptures, Jesus quoting from Old Testament scriptures. You know, there was literal interpretations of all these things. So we interpret the Bible literally because the Bible interprets itself. The laws of interpretation are rooted in the Bible. They're not man's opinions. And that's why we interpret the Bible literally. Okay. The second thing is pray with a worshiping heart. So go back here and we'll just summarize this pretty quickly. But we need to worship God. Notice how Daniel understands who God is. He has a true concept and a clear grasp of the eternal, living, and true God. Daniel is not complaining about his situation. He is worshiping the Lord. He's not discouraged about even the condition of the land. He's bearing the responsibility to move forward with the promises of God. And that's how we should live as Christians. Don't allow the world to beat you down and make you feel like everything's wrong and we have no hope. We have hope. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming back. So Daniel sees four things about God here. He sees his greatness. And he says, I prayed unto the Lord, my God. And by the way, in Daniel chapter 9 is the only time he uses God's name Jehovah in the book of Daniel. And he uses God's name Jehovah seven times in this chapter. Nowhere else in the entire book, which is pretty amazing. The first time is in verse 2 where he says, the word of the Lord... And here he prayed unto the Lord, that's Jehovah. You see, Jehovah is all capitals, capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah. So when he says, the Lord, Jehovah, my Elohim, my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, now you see the second Lord there, it's not all capitalized. That's Adonai, God who is supreme ruler, Adonai. And he says, the great and dreadful Elohim. So I'm saying, Daniel sees the Lord's greatness, His awesomeness, he's the God of creation. In the beginning, Elohim, God created, and here he calls upon 
Adonai Elohim, the Lord Jehovah Elohim, and O Lord Adonai, the great, the awesome God of creation. Daniel sees the greatness of God. He sees the faithfulness of God because he says, keeping the covenant and mercy. The covenant of, what's a covenant? What's a covenant? It's a, it's like a divine contract in this context. It's a contract that God is making with man. Now, a covenant, two, two men can make a covenant, if you will. It's like an, it is an agreement, some kind of an oath. But really the idea of a covenant as well as that God is in the middle of that, like marriage, is a covenant agreement. A husband makes with a wife, but they make that covenant in the presence of of God, right? So the idea here is that God has made a covenant. Now God made a covenant with Noah. And then God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. And Daniel is saying this. God, you're not going to lie to Abraham. And what you said to Abraham, you meant it. Is God, did God tell a lie to David when he said somebody would sit on his throne forever? Did God lie? No, God cannot lie. He made a covenant. He made an agreement. He even established by an oath, it says even later on in this chapter. So, he says, you are the covenant faithful. You are the God who is faithful, the God of the covenant. He says, you are the, you keep covenant and, and then there's that word. There's that word. Mercy. You know that word, Hebrew word. It's what? Remember? Chesed is one of the richest Hebrew words that speaks of the loving kindness of God, the incredible faithfulness and loyalty of God. So he says, you keep covenant and mercy, your forgiveness, you provide forgiveness. You are a God of compassion. And then he says, to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, God gives commandments, which are orders. They are his rules. And his rules are consistent with his character. And all of his rules are for our benefit. They're for our good. They're for our safety. They're for us to live in a right relationship with him. He's the God of righteous commandments. And, and these things are all in the prayer ahead. Those four elements repeat themselves. If you even want to read ahead and study, we're going to look at the verses ahead here. But each of these points... God is a great God of creation, a faithful God of the covenant, a forgiving God of compassion, a righteous God of, of commandments. Daniel prays over these things, and he brings up these things. So again, people say, how to pray? How do I pray? Pray like Daniel. Go to God and say, God, thank you that you're a great God. You're the God of creation. You're awesome. You're to be feared and reverenced. You know, and God, thank you. You're faithful. You've made agreements with men and you're true to your word all the time. You've made covenants, faithful covenant. And like David says, your covenant is all my salvation. Because really, you know, at the heart of every covenant, the covenant promises that God made throughout the Bible. And there's the way I see the covenant, too, it's it's progressively given, but it's all focused on the ultimate coming of Jesus Christ. That at the heart of the covenant promises was the promise that God was going to send his son, Jesus Christ. And if Daniel could pray in his situation, and he did, because he saw the word of God being fulfilled. 
And he saw that God was faithful to his word. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 as we close this morning. And see the fulfillment of this covenant in Jesus Christ. And how much more should we look to God, repent from our sins, confess our sins, because we have a new covenant that's a better covenant than the one he understood even. And we have a coming Savior. We have promises coming that are better than us going back to Jerusalem and building a temple. We have better promises, man. Our promises, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he's going to build the temple. And he will be the prince and king of the temple. And rule and reign with a rod of righteousness through all the nations, man. Jesus is coming. That's what we have to. we got to pray. The people are ready to receive him. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13. Look at this beautiful verse. It says, now the verse 20, Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. The blood of the everlasting covenant, our God of creation, shed his blood to fulfill the the new covenant, to establish the new covenant. You know, when we do the Lord's Supper, what are we saying? We believe in this new covenant. (laughs) We've entered into it by faith in Jesus Christ. We've received forgiveness because our God is so full of compassion. And we want to live according to his righteous commandments. And now, as we think on that, go to 1 John 3, last verse. 1 John 3, verse 23. When we think of God's righteousness, I'm on letter D there, the righteousness of God through his commandments, what is the ultimate New Testament command for us? What is the ultimate? There are many commands in the New Testament, but perhaps the ultimate New Testament command is summarized here by John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Can you read it with me? It says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And so the ultimate command for every man in this dispensation, is that they what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I have the authority to leave these doors today and go into all the world and tell everyone we meet, we we would not be wrong to tell anyone we meet, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because that is what God has commanded you to do. Because his kingdom is coming and the time is almost here. These are the last days. These are the perilous times. The fire alarms are going off. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, how about this? We need to love one another. (laughs) We need to love one another. In our country. Ethnicities, doesn't matter. We need to love one another. Political parties could care less. We need to love one another. We need to love Because Jesus Christ has loved us. So, beloved, we have a lot to be brokenhearted about, as Daniel did. But thank God our God hears. Just as God heard Daniel's prayer. It was like Daniel was bearing the burden of prayer, the intercession for the nation. Saying, Lord, you promise in 70 years we'll go back. I'm sure there were others who had Daniel's heart, but not many. But Daniel did. So, It didn't seem even possible the nation could be stirred up to go back. But guess what? They did. God heard Daniel's prayer. So let's pray, even if it seems like you're the only one.
Let's stand together as we pray together. Help us, Lord, to listen to you. And so listening, know how to pray. Oh, God, give us the heart of Daniel to set our face to seek you. To pray and make our and my confession. Make your confession to God now. Of sin, but you confess your faith. Yes, your faith. We confess we have sinned, God. We have been proud and lustful and envious and jealous. Weak in faith. But Lord, we confess that Jesus Christ, we believe in you. We have believed on you, Lord Jesus. And we pray, God, you'll give us the grace to love one another. And Lord, we pray that you'll come quickly and bring peace to Jerusalem, Lord. Bring peace to Jerusalem by your very own coming and presence. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved today, but I need to call upon Jesus Christ as my Savior. With a broken heart, confess your sins and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm worthy of even dying, being separated from you in that place called hell because of my sins. Yes, that is what our sins have earned and that is what we deserve. But Jesus Christ went to the cross and took that hell and separation for you. So say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to save me from that great death. You died the death I deserve. I trust in you. I believe that you are Lord. I believe you died. I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe you're alive now. I call upon you to save me. Yes, call upon Jesus that he will be your Savior. For those of us who are saved, ask God to give you a broken heart to confess your sins, the sins of our nation. Open up the Bible. Listen to what God is saying to you there. Respond with a worshiping heart to who he is. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.